0: All right, Hi, y'all. Um, it's good to see everybody. Make it, you know, I say this a lot. I feel like I'm a member of the Evening Bible Study. I love to come to even, Evening Bible Study. But by the end of the day, I'm a morning person, and so I just feel like a crumpled shirt. Like, you were so cute when you got dressed in the morning, and then it's like there's a spill, and it, the, it's all like this one. It's all curled up on the bottom, and we're just worn out. Um, But, you know, being worn out and at the end of ourselves is a wonderful place to learn about the Lord um, because we don't have all our our guards up. Um, So, um, as Amanda so wonderfully introduced us, we are talking about the third week, the third chapter of Habakkuk. So, next week we'll head into Zephaniah with Anna teaching. Um, And uh, this chapter is really different than where we found Habakkuk in the past two chapters. So um, yet again, for the third week, I am going to recommend that book by John Currid called *The um, Habakkuk the Expected Prophet*. It is an excellent book, um, and I pull from it um, wholeheartedly throughout this lesson. Additionally, I wanted to tell you about a series of books called *Knowing the Bible*. There are a series of books, and they have them on, I think, every single book of the Bible. Sometimes they combine books, like the Habakkuk one is combined with a few other books. But there are different editors of this book, but they are a wonderful tool. Again, they're called Knowing the Bible series of helping you dig into a chapter of Scripture so, for instance, maybe it's the summer, it's Christmas time, and we aren't doing a study since our study is going to end in a couple weeks. These series are, they just have you read the scripture. They, um, they, there's no way around it. I'm going to read the scripture and we're going to walk through it. Um, so the one on Habakkuk was very helpful to me, um, but I have read several and found them to be very helpful as I am reading the Bible on my own to the Knowing the Bible series. So, um, as you all know, we have spent the past two weeks learning about Habakkuk, and we have studied him crying out to the Lord, and he's wondering if God is working. He's saying, "Um, God, do you see your people? And God said to Habakkuk, yes, I see, and yes, I am working. And last week, we saw Habakkuk balking at how God was working. He's saying, how dare you, God, work through evilness, work through these evil people. And last week's scripture ended with a call for silence. It said, let all the earth keep silence before him. So ultimately, when all the questions have been asked, we are to live by faith. We're to come to the Lord and rest in him and be silent. So we are welcome to ask the Lord questions and come to him with questions. But once we have done so, there becomes a point where we are to rest in God. So that is what God has spoken to Habakkuk. Into us, And so as we start chapter 3, which you can go ahead and start turn to in your Bible, because we're going to read from there soon. Um, at the start of chapter 3, we see how Habakkuk is responding to God, God's call for silence. Um, and we see that Habakkuk is drastically changed. He is praising the Lord. So throughout this lesson, and I'm going to mention this several times, um, but throughout this lesson, we are looking at the work that God has done in Habakkuk. So we are to be excited about how Habakkuk has changed, how we find him in chapter 3, just like we would with a friend. When we see the Lord working in our friends' lives and um, drastically changing them, healing them, growing them, We can be really excited about that, but we aren't trying to be like our friend because that's not our story. So we're not sitting here being like, how can I be like Habakkuk ultimately? Um, We are looking at the work that God has done in Habakkuk. And yes, we can be encouraged by what um, Habakkuk, how he has changed, but we don't get a lot of details about Habakkuk. What we do get a lot of details about is God. So we'll come back to that a few times. So in chapter 1, we saw Habakkuk's frustration. And then at the start of chapter 2, we saw Habakkuk's submission. So in chapter 3, we see Habakkuk's trust and joy. So first he had to submit to God to get to that trust and joy. So Habakkuk's circumstances have not changed. Remember, the Babylonians are still coming. um, Yet Habakkuk has given away to trust. So I don't know if you remember what it's like to learn how to ride a bike, or maybe in more recent years, you have taught someone else how to ride a bike or you've seen somebody do that. That has been a a bit, a long process in our home. But we have rounded the corner and we're really excited. Um, But I've been thinking a lot about riding the bike. So you have to submit to your balance in order to ride. And that's like the hardest part about riding. You have gotta trust that you can do it and you can balance. So the joy of riding doesn't come until you start to to pedal and still you trust, until you trust. So Habakkuk listened to the call of faith and he trusted and now he rejoices, now he rides. So chapter 3 is essentially a, a psalm praising the Lord. And it is amazing that we get to see that incredible work we talked about in Habakkuk. Um, But it can take some really careful study to see that, and that is what we're going to do. This scripture is, this chapter, at least for me, was a tougher one to read. I couldn't, I didn't really get what was happening just on first run through. So when that happens when we read the Bible, that does not mean that that chapter doesn't matter or it's not worth our while. That's just a call for more study. It's a call for patience. It's a call for crying out to the Lord. And so I just want to name that before you. Like me, the teacher read this and was like, what is this? Um, But the Lord really taught me through this as we are patient and we slow down. So maybe you don't get to just read a chapter in a day. Maybe you have to stay in that chapter for weeks. Uh, That's okay. You have permission to stay in a chapter for more than a day. Okay, so we're going to have three points. The first one is going to be my story, then your story, and then my story because of your story. I thought I was cute with that one. My story, your story, and lastly, your story because, excuse me, my story because of your story. All right, we're going to start and just read verses 1 and 2 in chapter 3. So I'm going to read those for us. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shignoth. O oh Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O oh Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Okay, our first point, my story from verses 1 and 2. So this is a short little point, um, but an important one. So Habakkuk is saying, Your work, O oh Lord, I fear. So remember, when we read Habakkuk crying out and asking, um, he was asking, God, are you even working in chapter 1? And now here in chapter 3, Habakkuk is saying, Lord, I praise your work. Um, We are witnessing a transformation here, as we talked about. He is singing to Yahweh, the promise keeper. So Habakkuk is convicted, and he is singing praises to the Lord, um, to God for the very work that he was questioning. So his eyes have been opened by God. Habakkuk did not change himself. God did. Remember, we saw him bring his heart before the Lord. He was angry and God met him. God met him in all of his questions. So in chapter 1 and 2, we saw the answers that Habakkuk got. They were not clear-cut answers um, or what Habakkuk would have chosen. Um, They were not detailed, and the exact plan was not laid out. Um, But what God did answer, what God did provide in his answers um, were reminders of who he is, that we need the Lord. We don't need to be omniscient all-knowing. God is that. So God provides what we need, and we can trust that he knows, and we don't need to know what he knows. We're to put our faith in God, and we witnessed Habakkuk do that. So Habakkuk is now convinced that God is working, and just a side note, a pause for a second. Um, We have talked about how we don't know how long Habakkuk's transformation took. As we read, you know, you could read the, the book of Habakkuk in one sitting, as I said, you might not understand it, but you could do it, it's quick. Um, and if we're not careful, we could kind of think of that as the timeline. But this story of Habakkuk, it could have been years, it could have been his whole life, his whole faith journey, we don't know. So maybe you are in a place of seeking um, and struggling to bring your heart to the Lord. That's been difficult for you. Or you're, somebody you care about is in that place. It's been difficult for them. Um, maybe your story or theirs does not seem like this tidy little three-chapter story. Uh, maybe it feels like a very long epic. Um, this was not a cute little three-chapter kids' book for Habakkuk either. You know, remember, we, these previous chapters have captured his struggle His faith wasn't tidy, and our faith isn't tidy. The Lord may not have brought you um, or the person you care about to your chapter 3 yet, and that is okay. Our call is to keep returning to the Lord, keep bringing our heart to the Lord, um, because maybe you're in chapter 2. Okay, so verse 2. Verse 2 shows Habakkuk asking the Lord to keep doing his work. Um, He's saying, keep doing your work and make it known to your people. So to us, Habakkuk is praying um, that the Lord would meet us in our struggle, that the Lord through the ages would continue to do his work. So we see Habakkuk here praying for us. I love that when we see that in the Bible um, of these people long, long before us praying for us. So um, Habakkuk is saying, you have been dedicated to my story guide. Um, You have brought me where I find myself and be dedicated to your people. Okay, our next point. And this point, the second point is where we will spend the bulk of our time. I don't want you to be overwhelmed as we're like in point two for forever because point three will be really quick too. Okay, we're going to read a longer passage. We're going to read verses three through 15. So go on and turn to that here. And I will read that for us. This, um, okay. God came from Timon and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light, rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth, and he looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered the everlasting hills sank low his were the everlasting ways i saw the tents of cushion and affliction the curtains of the land of midian did tremble was your wrath against the rivers o lord was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation you stripped the sheath from your bow calling for many arrows you split the earth with rivers the mountain, "'The mountain saw you and writhed. "'The raging waters swept on. "'The deep gave forth its voice. "'It lifted its hands on high. "'The sun and moon stood still in their place "'at the light of your arrows at, as they sped, "'at the flash of your glittering spear. "'You marched through the earth in fury. "'You threshed the nations in anger. "'You went out for the salvation of your people, "'for the salvation of your anointed.' You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. Okay, so your story. So this section shows Habakkuk reviewing God's work in the past. He's reviewing God's story. And by looking at God's story, Habakkuk is concluding that God is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. And that he's still working on his people's behalf. So we have to remember that our reality is so different from who God is. So I was very different at 9 years old and 19 years old and 29 years old and 39 years old. And I hope that I keep growing and changing. But God is always the same. He doesn't have to be sanctified. So he is the fullness of who he is at all times. He is never erring from his character. He can be trusted, and that is vastly different than his creation, his people. Um, we are, you know, seasonal beating beings. Our bodies are constantly changing and growing and he is not, he is God. God is God. So when we view our story in light of God's story, we are more likely to see God's handiwork in our present moment. So as humans, um, our own past, uh, accomplishments and failures constantly dictate how we view our present and our future. So, A little uh, fact about me, if you know me, you know this, because I have the world's worst sense of direction. It is so bad that if you know me, you know that about me. Um, I am terrible. I can get to the dentist from my house, but like barely, Um, and if I happen to be like at Kroger and I need to drive to the dentist because I usually don't go from Kroger to the dentist, I'm like, I have no idea how to do this. And I'm not exaggerating. I have to put on GPS and be like, okay, Dr. Stubblefield's office, because I don't know how to get from Kroger to the dentist because I'm not at the same starting point. (laughs) I can't get anywhere. And I just know this about myself. I've denied it for years and I have in my thirties embrace this. It's just it's facts. It's facts. So I know um, what I know to be true of myself dictates my future. I cannot volunteer to give directions. I can, if somebody is like, if I'm walking and somebody drives by and rolls down their window, I'm like, I'm so sorry. I can't help. If you would like to use my GPS, I can, I can show you one here. I cannot give directions. This is true of me. So what we know about God dictates our future. The more we get to know God through his word, the more we reflect on how he has worked in our lives, the more we turn in faith and repentance, Um, the more we see God was faithful then and he's faithful now and he's going to be faithful in the future. Um, We see his past faithfulness and we grow in trust. So let's remember that um, Habakkuk and God's people are in a very scary moment. God has said the Babylonians are coming. That has not changed. That is still happening. So are God's people right to fear the Babylonians? You know, is it really the Babylonians that they should fear? So throughout these verses, Habakkuk gives us our answer to that. Habakkuk describes God. He describes in beautiful ways his character in these verses. He describes God as light, as all-powerful, that he should be feared, that he's the shaker of nations. So yes, the Chaldeans, and remember those are interchangeable names, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans. Um, The Chaldeans are some of these things, um, to some degree. They're powerful. They seem like they shake nations, but um, they do not measure up to God. God is the one that is all-powerful. The Babylonians are not. So they don't match up. In verse 8, um, that verse offers a transition to Habakkuk talking directly to God instead of about God. So before he was describing God, now in, in verse 8 he's shifting to talking to God. And in 8 and 9, we see him asking God some rhetorical questions um, that confirm the greatness of God's power and his judgments. He's saying, God, you know better than me. You are good, God. So we see Habakkuk touching on both God's wrath and and God's salvation. He's saying, you are both God, and we can't focus on one and ignore the other. You are both. God's chariot of salvation comes to deliver his people, and then he portrays God as a warrior readying his bow to deal with the unjust. So Habakkuk no longer is questioning that. Um, In Psalm 46, we read some from Psalm 46 last week, but um, the psalmist deals with the question of fear. In that psalm, um, what are we as God's people to fear? And verse 2 and 3 tell us what we're not to fear. So I'm going to read those for us. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And actually, uh, there's a beautiful song by Caroline Herring in an album called Verse by Verse, where she is just singing scripture. It's on Spotify. This is one of the songs. I highly recommend it. Side note. Okay, so we have just seen in that scripture, in Psalm 46, what we're not to be afraid of, of the earth giving way, the mountains being moved into the heart of the sea, the waters roaring and foaming. We don't have to fear these dangers because our hope is in God, not in the earth. So we are to look beyond the earth, beyond circumstances, to our unshakable foundation in God. God is in the midst of his people. So, Psalm 46, 7 goes on to say, the Lord of hosts is with us. So, the Babylonians are in God's hand. Verses 9 through 11 tell the story of God's sovereignty over all. So, the Chaldeans were a polytheistic society. That means that they believed in many gods, like little g-gods. So, they were mainly worshiping different elements of God's creation, elements that God created. So, as we know, God is sovereign over the earth and the water and the mountains and the heavens and the deep. These elements are all under God's rule and authority. So the Babylonians worshipped inanimate objects of God's creation. And so when it's said like that, it sounds crazy, like they worshipped like the God of water, like these things that God, that God made. Um, but we too worship inanimate objects that God has made all the time like money or material possessions. So we are just like these Babylonians, taking something that's good and making it the thing. In verses 12 through 15, we read Habakkuk's surety of God's victory. So God crushes but also saves. God is both. He goes forth for the salvation of his people, like he promised in Genesis 3. This is One of those pictures of the Bible is one big story. It is all connected, and we're getting to see that here. God is committed to what he's promised. So this passage of Scripture lets us watch understanding of God's sovereignty unfolded, this understanding of God's sovereignty coming to fruition in Habakkuk. And we've talked about that's really difficult. It can be really difficult to grapple with God's sovereignty. So God's story tells that he is the Lord of judgment, and salvation. So like Habakkuk, we must hold on to the fact that in this very moment, God is on his throne. This should be comforting to us and not scary. Nothing um, apart, nothing happens apart from his hand. So the, tr- the truth that nothing happens apart from God's direction gives meaning and purpose to our pain. Ecclesiastes 3 Verses 1 through 8 explain that we suffer, we have joy, we cry, we laugh, we live, we die, because God wants that for us. So I remember after my mom died being so shocked that God hadn't made any more days for my mom. She had lived all the days that he had created for her. And as painful as that was, that was, for whatever reason, brought me a lot of solace of like, this is what he had. This is what he chose for her, uh, regardless of, you know, me wanting more days, me wanting her still now. Um, Romans eight twenty eight promises that God uses all things for our good, even when we don't see how. So verse 14 through 16 close this section exclaiming that Yahweh is coming justice for the wicked. So verbs in Hebrew here in the scripture um, are written as if Yahweh has already come. Um, They're written like God has done these things, so not like God is doing or will do. Habakkuk has written it as God has done. So how can they be completed if they haven't taken place? So Habakkuk is so sure of God's work, again, the work that he had doubted, that he is writing about the future as if it's already happened here. Verse 15 explains God's Calvary is incomparable to the Babylonians because he has all of creation at his fingertips. So not just the land, the earth, the land, the water is his. There is a story in the Bible in 2 Kings 6 that tells the story of the king of Syria seeking to capture Elijah. So the king surrounds the city where Elijah is with his army, Um, and Elijah's servant is very afraid. So I'm going to read from 2 Kings 6, verses 16 and 17. They say, Elijah said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Elijah prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So Elijah's praying for his servant that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So that is our God. It is he who we put our trust in. And this is where Habakkuk lands. God is God. Um, I trust his story. I trust his truth. Okay, lastly, a quick but important point. My story because of your story. So verses 16 through 19. So I'm going to read those verses for us. All right. Verse 16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the Olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold. There be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes my tr- he makes me tread on my high places. So in verse sixteen, we see Habakkuk naming that he is afraid. He is trembling his lips quiver so why why is Habakkuk afraid so he is all struck the babylonians are coming to deal with the wicked at the hand of god he is recognizing that god is working and bringing judgment and he truly feels he truly fears the lord here so he's naming lord i fear you so what does that mean to fear the lord I 100% could have not clearly and easily defined that a couple days ago. Um, I grew up, I, did, I went to a private school, but it was not a Christian school. But for some reason, the school motto was a Bible verse, and no one ever explained that. Um, but the school motto was, um, to fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I went to this school from kindergarten to 12th grade, and I never asked anyone, uh, what does that mean? And no one ever taught me either. But thankfully, the Lord has provided an opportunity to learn all these years later. Um, So I'm going to read a definition that is so beautiful by John Currid that um, explains the fear of the Lord very beautifully. And I'll read the definition twice. The fear of the Lord is an affectionate reverence by which a child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. The fear of the Lord is an affectionate reverence by which a child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. So, this is why Habakkuk can quietly wait for the Babylonians to come. The Babylonians are scary, uh, but he is in greater awe of God. In verse 17, um, we see a scenario portrayed of. Total economic ruin and poverty. So remember that this culture that we're learning about, reading about, they are based on agriculture. So Habakkuk is saying, if everything were to fail, you know, would there be no animals, there is no food, even then I will trust in you. So he's saying, if we would be completely destitute and have nothing, we would have what we need because we have you. So um, in chapter one, Habakkuk complained and cried out. And in here, He trusts the Lord. In verse 18, he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. So our understanding of rejoice, like the way that we use rejoice, does not do this Bible verse justice here. Um, The Hebrew has a much deeper and powerful word here. So he is saying, Habakkuk is saying, I will triumph in Yahweh. This is a jubilant cry of triumph. I will rejoice in the Lord. He's saying that with his entire being. So Habakkuk is not rejoicing at the possibility of the land being destroyed. Um, It is not suffering that brings joy, but it is the Lord who brings joy no matter one's circumstances. So I will never delight over the fact that my mom died, but it is the Lord's work in my life that I have no joy and no joy. It is the Lord who transforms our own stories and brings our stories to his Verse 19 tells um, of Habakkuk's confidence to walk securely through life, even in very dark, and high, and scary places, because of God as his strength. So, we uh, many of us know this verse. Psalm 23:4 says, "Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for You are with me." Um, so I don't know if you've ever seen these images of wildlife where there will be these huge mountains and these teeny little like mountain goats or deer or anything that are like on the side of the mountain and you're like, that's the side of, that's like a cliff. How are they balancing up on there? And I'm laughing because I'm like, we have seen these photos. Why have we all seen these photos? I feel like we, maybe you're like, I have never seen these photos even, but they're like these steep cliffs with little animals and I'm like, why is that such a thing? But I think it's because it's so shocking. Um, and then. And this, this verse brings that portrayal, that, that image here of even in these scary, scary places where we on our own can't figure out how to do it, the Lord provides there. God makes my feet like the deer. So Habakkuk and other believers in Judah are in grave danger, yet God is there in our fortress. You know, because we live in a life of sin and sinners, we are in grave danger. Our hearts belong to the Lord, and we must recognize that and turn to him. Habakkuk's transformation points to our father, not himself. God is who transformed our stories, not ourselves. And I think that I've harped on this and said this so many times throughout the scripture because I can really struggle with self-reliance of looking to myself to try to solve the problem. And I will never succeed in that. Only the Lord transforms our hearts. He is the one who saves. He is who we can trust in. You know, so as we close out, why does Habakkuk's story matter to us so many years later, these thousands of years later? It's important to recognize that Habakkuk's story is ours too. Romans 8 verses 31 and 32 tell us, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also... With him, graciously give us all things. So, we have learned from Habakkuk the Lord hears our cries, the Lord is working, the Lord calls us to put our faith in him, the Lord is our strength, the Lord transforms our story. So, I'm going to close this again with um, the last verses of Habakkuk. Verses 18 and 19, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. So with that, I'm going to close for us, and we'll head to our small groups. Father, we thank you that you transform our story, that because of Jesus, we are drawn in. Our past, our present, our future is forgiven, and you... And you have given us a new story. We ask that we would um, have sweet connection time in our small groups um, and go before us. In your name we pray. Amen.